0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy
1: The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman <laughs> and welcome to episode 52 of Charlie's Cast. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are once again returning to 1983 to continue our look at this not really a year-long saga of Superman. So I'm going to play a promo or two, and then I'll be right back with today's issue. Charlie's Cast will return after these promos. Annual Halloween party canceled. Haunted oh, house shut down
0: this season. Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The House of Franklin Stein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash, no matter what, and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission You'll be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit your evil and anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I've told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Baylor Lugosi. He's mine! he don't belong to you! You go away! Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster!
1: Kiefer Sutherland.
0: Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? And Boris Karloff. Ah! Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragostein! Poor thing! Let them take care of your friends, my dear. <laughs> I'll take the robot. You take the wolf thing. Good. I've always had a way with animals. So RSVP to FireAndWaterPodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Frankenstein. Connor, from the House of El. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say, have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, I read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide eyed, and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. But so just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are that week. Up, 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 and, and away! away. I took a walk around the world to ease my troubled mind I left my body lying somewhere in the sands of time But I watched the world float to the dark side of the something to do with you I really don't mind what happens now and then as long as you'll be
1: Superman number 385 had a cover date of July 1983 and an on-sale date of April 14th, 1983 and a cover price of 60 cents. The cover by Gil Kane shows Superman and Luther locked in battle over a bridge. First off, I appreciate the detail in the background. The view is at an odd angle over the bridge, so we see plenty of cars on the bridge, as well as uh, we can see the docks under the bridge, plus a boat in the water. This angle also allows us to see the city on the other side of the bridge. Superman looks well-drawn and solid here, and in a pretty classic pose. Meanwhile, Lex is in a bit of an awkward pose, and his head looks overly egg-shaped. While I initially started to give him props for getting the details of the power suit right, I noticed that he forgot the clear helmet part. Oh well. At the bottom of the cover is a caption box that calls this, The Clash of 83. Oh, and say goodbye to that Superman logo. This is the last time we'll see it on a regular issue of Superman. The title of the story is Luthor Rises Again, written by Kerry Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Dave Hunt, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Anthony Tallon, and edited by Julie Schwartz. The story begins where the Luthor story in Action 544 ended, with Luthor amongst the remains of the planet Lexor and angrily blaming Superman for what happened. After a quick, full-page recap of the fight at the end of the story that led to Lexor's destruction, Lex figures that Superman believes that Lex died in the Cataclysm and plans to use that to his advantage. But first, he gathers a rather large chunk of Lexor and takes it with him back to Earth. Later, in the Atlantic, several hundred miles south of the Virgin Islands, the head of a smuggling operation is about to rub out a suspected undercover government agent when their boat is smashed by a giant chunk of rock. Since we never see them again, I'm assuming that they died. Once things calm down, Luther reveals that this rock will now be known as L Island, his new base of operations. Meanwhile, at WGBS, Clark is going over Luther's file where his guilt over his the Meanwhile, at WGBS, Clark is going over Luther's file, where his guilt over the part he played in Lexor's demise is overshadowing the relief he should be feeling over the death of Lex Luthor. Elsewhere, Lana has managed to get Ali Kayem and Ben David to agree to have a debate live on the air with Lana as the moderator, but feels bad that the biggest exclusive of her career is at Lois' expense. Perry, to whom she is speaking with on the phone, tells her that it's Lois' fault for taking off with Superman, and also to try and delay things for a few more hours so that the transmission can be plugged into the Galaxy Satellite Network. As he finishes speaking with her, he gets another call. And ironically, this time is from Lois, finally checking in to let him know that she's alive. But when he asks where she is, she hangs up, not wanting to let him know that she's returned to her old hometown of Pittsdale, hoping that this will allow her to get her head on straight without the pressures from the job and away from Superman. As the call ends, Perry gets yet another call, but this time it's his wife, so he tells the secretary to tell her that he's tied up in a budget meeting. Later on, in Metropolis, Superman foils an attempted robbery by a highly advanced vehicle, and he's slightly disappointed that Luther isn't behind it. Speaking of Luther, he's currently several hundred thousand miles to the west, excavating granite from a quarry. Just 72 more hours, he says, and he'll have all the necessary raw materials to commence construction of L Island. Elsewhere, in Pittsdale... Lois is on her parents' farm riding a horse, when her horse accidentally steps into a gopher hole and stumbles, throwing her off. This knocks her for a loop, but when her her parents come to help her, Lois is elated that she went through a dangerous moment without wishing Superman would save her, meaning that she's finally free of him. Later, at Cape Canaveral in Florida, Clark is interviewing Flight Engineer Bauer, who is the first female astronaut selected for a space shuttle mission, when the alarm brings things to an abrupt halt. It appears that an as-yet-unidentified flying object has entered Cape Canaveral airspace. It appears to be a Great Year blimp, but soon the blimp explodes, revealing the explosive drone missile within. Pre-programmed with the Space Shuttle Challenger, currently set up on one of the launch pads, as its target. As this is a job for Superman, the Man of Steel catches the missile and flies it in reverse, allowing the air friction to destroy both the missile and the explosives. But as Superman does a quick flyover to confirm things are once again secure, he once again can't help but be disappointed that this wasn't one of Luther's schemes. Again, speaking of Luther, out over the mid Atlantic, the Coast Guard is checking out a report of a large black rock the size of an island, but they don't see anything. As they leave, thinking they were just on a wild goose chase, Luther stands on that very same large black rock and receives a report from one of his robots that his cloaking device is working perfectly. Pleased, Luthor turns around to watch his robotic construction vehicles working on his new ultimate lair, noting how appropriate it is that it is being built on the literal ashes of Lexor. Up in the Arctic, Superman is at his fortress, feeding his supercomputer all existing data on Luthor's life and career to see just how crazy he is. But the computer calculates an 89.97% chance that Luthor somehow survived the destruction of Lexor. But if Luthor did survive... That means there can be no doubt that he holds Superman 100% responsible for Lexor's destruction and is out there somewhere plotting his revenge. Later at WGBS, Justin asks Clark if he can run something by him before taking it to Perry. In the past eight hours, there have been four jailbreaks by five very dangerous people, thousands of miles apart, but they all share one similar MO. After telling Justin that it would be a good idea to run this by Perry, We soon join Superman at the fourth of the four prisons he has visited. Each time, the warden of that prison shows him a circle cut in the wall and a glowing cube. But when Superman tries to check the cube out with his x-ray vision, it dematerializes. Late that evening, at the Superman Museum in Metropolis, Superman visits the Lex Luthor statue, wondering why Luthor would bother recruiting others to help him. Suddenly, the statue changes into Luthor in his power suit. Not wanting to give Luther a chance to attack, Superman punches him, only to discover that he's just destroyed the statue. Wondering if seeing the statue transform into the real Luther was just a product of his guilt-ridden imagination, Superman takes off, only to spot Luther standing on a nearby bridge. He fires off a burst of heat vision to weld his boots to the bridge, but once again, Luther isn't really there, and all Superman has done is manage to use his heat vision to cut the bridge in half. While Superman is wondering if he's lost his sanity out on L Island, for reasons not yet disclosed, the five criminals pledge their undying loyalty to Lex Luthor. Alright, looking at some notes here. Pages 4 and 5. Okay, I know it's 1983, but are we expected to believe that a giant chunk of Lexor managed to slam into the ocean without being picked up by any satellites or radar? And that it didn't cause any large tidal waves? And that it's just going to float rather than sink to the bottom of the ocean? To answer all those questions, yeah, pretty much. Page 5. Okay, I actually like this. While he wasn't directly responsible, Superman definitely would feel guilty over the destruction of an entire planet. So would Spider-Man for that fact, but he feels guilty about everything. Plus, I can get that Spider- Spider-Man, (laughs) ha Plus, I can get that Superman has trouble believing that Luthor is dead. We've seen, they've been enemies for half their lives, and he's come back many times before. I would think, realistically, Batman probably feels the same way each time the Joker appears to have died. The same for Spider-Man and either Green Goblin or Doc Ock, or Captain America with, like, the Red Skull. Page six. Okay, how's this for timing? Lana and Lois calling at the same time. Lana seems to not only be getting Lois's interview, but exceeding what Lois was actually going to do in the first place. Again, I can understand her guilt, too. I'm actually surprised that Perry doesn't feel more sorry for Lois, but then again, he did, really did try to help her and give her this great story, and she basically just kind of blew it off and disappeared without calling. Besides, the newspaper game is a ruthless business. And I'm sorry for bringing this up again, but Lois did bring this on herself. If she just made this call before she left the Middle East, she might be the one with the big exclusive. Page 7. Lois must have a lot of time off saved up. First off, she disappears without saying a word to anyone. And now she's planning on spending an undetermined amount of time in Pittsdale for some R&R without really telling Perry that that's what she's going to do. And it's all last minute, too. Most people at most jobs would no longer have a job after pulling something like this. Page 10, I am quickly getting the idea that Luthor's suit can now do basically whatever the plot needs it to do. Move a chunk of a planet through space? Check. Fly through space fast enough to travel between galaxies in what appears to be hours rather than decades? Check. Cut granite? Check. Hypnotize workers? Also check. Page 11, Lois getting thrown off the horse here is a little too close to Christopher Reeve's accident. Granted, Lois doesn't end up paralyzed and this story was written more than a decade before the real event happened, but still, it's a little uncomfortable to read this page. Also, Sam Lane looks a lot like the older Jonathan Kent that was shown in Action Comics a couple of years earlier, which I covered with Michael Bailey back on Superman in the Bronze Age. Although, after all that's been done with Lois being an army brat and Sam Lane being a general and all that, Seeing Sam and Ella Lane here looking and acting like the Kints is rather weird. Now, of course, if, if it was the other way around and I'd read this stuff and then we went into the post-crisis where they were military and everything, that part would probably be kind of weird. So, you know, perspective, I guess. Page 12. The Space Shuttle Challenger, despite this being three years before its destruction, is also pretty ominous. Also, let's think about this for a second. The previous story in Action 544 had Luther taking a rocket that he designed and built himself all the way to another world. And in this very issue, Lex, in a suit of armor he himself created, despite it being partially alien technology, defied physics with how fast he was able to travel from Lexor back to Earth. Meanwhile, here we have the space shuttle, which never went past Earth orbit. Page 13. Okay, in real life, the first female astronaut to go into space was Sally Ride. Her first flight was in june of 1983 and her second mission was in 1984 both on the challenger i don't know if the story was written before sally became big news but it's nice to see the event touched upon here even if they couldn't or wouldn't use the real person page 18 so now superman has statistical data to prove that luther could be alive but rather than being glad that he isn't going crazy This actually makes things worse, because now he knows Luther's probably alive, and if he is, he's coming after him. So he's going to be kind of paranoid, wondering when Luther's going to attack. No wonder he feels like he's going nuts later on. That is a lot of stress to deal with, even for Superman. And uh, finally, on page 23, I hope we find out why these criminals are so loyal to Luther so quickly. Is there blackmail or mind control or something? Because they haven't been out that long, as far as I can tell. Uh, but they're, like, swearing their undying loyalty to him and even to death. So, wow. Overall, this is a great follow-up to the action story. Plus, while the news story subplot is only slightly moving forward here, Lois's, slub, slub? Lois's subplot took a pretty big step forward. You can actually feel Superman's stress in this story, and Luther slowly and methodically bringing the pieces of his plan together only adds to that stress. Although, once again, time is very fluid in this story. I mean, Clark was in Metropolis, went to Florida, came back to Metropolis, all fairly quickly. Uh, Luther's built this whole thing. At least 72 hours has happened during this story. Uh, It's hard to tell. The art, meanwhile, was once again crisp and clear and beautiful. Uh, I look forward to the next chapter, which will be coming up, not in action, but the next issue of Superman. Now, after a couple of promos, I'll be right back with some feedback. But first, playing us out this time, since Billie Jean is still number one, is the number two song for this week, Come On Eileen, by Kevin Rowland and Dexy's Midnight Runners. So I'll see you after the break. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos.
0: Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change every week. Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Make Ours ours Marvel. Marvel. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin podcast. In every episode I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain. and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on
1: iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, now it's time for some feedback. First off, we have a comment on the show posting over at Superman in the Bronze Age from Dave McIlvaney, and he writes, I read this when it was originally published. This is about episode 50, by the way. I read this when it was originally published, and it was quite taken by the cover art. I didn't think Luther's new look was all that different from his then-current purple and green jumpsuit. What is it with villains in secondary colors? I saw it simply as a minor upgrade. Brainiac, on the other hand, certainly looked different. Much more artificial and menacing, both in his new body and his skullship." I had mixed emotions about his new look. It certainly made sense that Brainiac, as an artificial life form, ought to look artificial, but as a child of the Silver Age, I had, and probably always will have, a soft spot for the green humanoid Brainiac with his bare legs, pink shirt, and flying saucer spaceship. That's just me, though. There's no arguing taste. As for the stories in the issue, Luther's story with the death of his wife and son, along with the entire planet of people who had long regarded him as a hero. Certainly gives Lex a new and stronger hatred for Superman with the potential for stories with higher stakes than we would have seen in the Silver Age. Brainiac's story, in my mind, just introduces the idea of a warped, see, insane, supercomputer-causing mayhem, which, while interesting, doesn't feel all that new to me. Again, though, that's just me. Thanks for the podcast. Whenever you release episodes, I always enjoy listening. Well, thanks, Dave. Dave. Now, moving right along, we go over to Charlie's GeekCast. And I got an email. or er, And I've got an email from Michael Bradley, former host of Thrilling Adventures of Superman and several other shows, including Parallel Lines, uh, Green Lantern's Light. And he had a Batman one. Anyway, he writes, Hey, Charlie, I wanted to write to give congrats for on hitting 50 episodes of Charlie's GeekCast. I'm glad the show returned after its long hiatus and that you have used it as a vehicle to once again revisit Superman in the Bronze Age. You are correct. The Joe Schuster drawn pinup in Action Comics 544 is the last non-reprint art by Joe Schuster published in his lifetime. He had undergone surgery for a detached retina the year before, and that, combined with his age, made it difficult for him to draw. The pinup was also included in at least one giveaway reprint of the Superman story from Action 1 produced in the late 80s. Making for a neat Alpha Omega pairing of Schuster's work on Superman. Keep up the good work, and here's the 50 more geeks, Michael. <laughs> 50 more geeks. Well, thank you, Michael. I, it's nice to know I'm correct every once in a while. Now what next up we have wow. Next up we have a response from is this an email? This is an email. An email from Russell Bragg, and he's also commenting on episode 50, and he writes, Hello, Charlie! Congrats on reaching the 50-episode plateau. It's a great accomplishment. I do have Action Comics 544 in my collection. I can't say for sure if I bought it off the stands. I probably did, but I was heading to high school around this time and probably didn't have the time I used to have collecting comics anymore. I just can't remember for sure. It is a great issue. I can't remember a time when Luther looked so beaten and defeated. And then later, so happy and content. What's your opinion? Do you blame Luther or Superman for Lexor's destruction? I would probably blame Lex. Even he says, what have I done? But we all know Lex Luthor blames everything on Superman. You had a question about Lexor, if I remember correctly. In Superman 164, Lex Luthor challenged Superman to a fair fight. The Man of Steel accepted and built a spacecraft to take them to a world that orbited a red sun. That planet would come to be called Lexor. You probably remember the cover, if nothing else. It shows Superman and Lex Luthor fighting within a wood-staked fence. You see the red sun in the sky, Superman has his shirt off, and Lex has given Superman a black eye. Superman struggled, but was ultimately victorious. Lex fled and came across the dregs of an advanced civilization. Quickly comprehending the planet's technology, Luthor began restoring their irrigation. He reactivated robots to dig a well, but they would ultimately be unsuccessful in finding water. By the time Superman arrived in the capital city... Lex had learned their language and became the people's hero, and thus his enemy Superman was cast as the villain. Lexor, still unnamed, was next seen in Superman 167. The cover is iconic as well, showing Superman shrunk down and in a cage, taunted on both sides by both Brainiac and Lex Luthor. Lex realized that he liked the adulation of the Lexorians and found that he was experiencing compassion, a new feeling for Luthor. So much so that he would not allow Brainiac to steal from them. Lex soon met the Lexorian woman that he would marry, who originally called herself Tharla. When they said their wedding vows, she was named Ardora, and she lived up to the name, being faithful to Lex to a fault. Superman returned a number of times to try and arrest Luther, but the Red Sun and the Lexorian system stripped him of his superpowers, and the populace of Lexor regarded him as a villain. Luther had studied the ancient technology of Lexor and had developed a ray which gave him temporary superpowers, which he used as the costumed Defender. Superman eventually revealed the truth of Lex Luthor's crimes to both Ardora and the people of Lexor. While Ardora stood by her man, the citizens of Lexor revolted, pulled down the statue of Luthor, burned his books, and smashed his machinery. Most of these exploits take place in Action Comics 318 through 319 and 365. Lexor wasn't mentioned from 1968 to this issue in 1983. In the years between visits from Lex Luthor, Ardora had somehow calmed the population, and somehow won back their trust, as seen in this issue. After this issue, Lexor is mentioned one more time in Superpowers Number 1. I guess the planet Lexor has a short, long history. As for the re-origin of Brainiac, I guess it was good. I was never much for his new look, but I guess it made for a great action figure. All in all, it's a great comic book, historical, and some pretty good stories. Thank you for covering it and for keeping me entertained during my workday at home. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Well, thank you, Russell. He also sent me a copy of the, or a copy. <laughs> he also sent me images of the two covers. And yes, those are two very famous covers. I'm sure the description that Russell gave probably, if you're listening to this, you probably know those covers. As for who I blame for Lexor's destruction, I definitely blame Luther. If he hadn't been shooting, uh, and I think Superman's part in it was merely accidentally just happened to be in the wrong place at the right time. So I'm going to go with it's mostly Luther's fault. Uh, Granted, well, no, because see, Lex is a criminal. So Superman had to go bring him back. Technically, if he hadn't, everything would be all right, I guess. I don't know. In any event, as for the actual destruction, I'm going to go with it was basic. It was mostly Luther because he's the one that fired the shot. It's not Superman's fault that it deflected off of him. What are you going to do? So anyway, I want to thank you all for listening. And thank you to Dave and Michael and Russell for your comments. And I hope you all have a great, however long it is until the next issue, next issue, next episode. And until then, stay safe, wash your hands, and I will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Charlie's Geekcast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charlie'sgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's Geekcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night.